Welcome back, Spokane. This is Matt Side. And this is Jessica Side. And welcome to another episode of Ever Real Talks. Jess, what's going on in your world these days? <laughs> you know, that's a funny question because you know what's going on in my world constantly because... I do most of the time, but there are some days that we're so busy that I'm like, hey, I know that we are... Okay. Like, live together and all, but... We live together, we work together, and we're working out of the same house currently. So, you pretty much know what's going on. But I will tell you this. Um, so, as we get ready for the radio show, one of the things that I do is I try and figure out, like, what piece of history do I want to del- delve into from Spokane? I mean, obviously, I don't do it every single week, but most of the time, I'm looking at that kind of information. I've got some books, and I'm reading, and stuff like that, I was having a hard time today being inspired. Like, I was just like, I don't know. I don't know about that subject. I don't know about this thing. And I decided to kind of go in a, in a particular direction. And then as I started diving in, I decided to, like, zero in on one particular uh, park in Spokane. And it was uh, – so that's what I'm going to do. So that's what I've been doing today is just honestly getting ready for Trying this. Trying to figure out And what kind of enjoying my little um, – my little journey here. So I'm going to just go for it. Let's do okay it. Yeah, let's just jump right in. What so, park are we talking about well, this week? We are we are going to talk about uh, People's Park. Ah. People's Park. People's I think park. I know People's Park. You think you know it? Well, I remember it being kind of infamous when I was a kid. So. Ah, infamous when you were a kid. This is good. This is exactly. So so I was doing some research on what we call, what is it, West West Hills. And they talked about People's Park, and I didn't really know a lot about it. So I started researching it and finding out some information. So infamous, we will talk about later. Okay? So mm-hmm. let's just talk about its kind of... Its origin? Its origin. Well, okay. I mean, the origin, is it's just been there for as long as the Earth has been here, probably. Um, Pro- but probably. It is the confluence... Maybe it wasn't at one point. It's the confluence of the Laytalk Creek and the Spokane River. Okay? So oh, Laytalk Creek right. comes right into the Spokane River. And there's a peninsula that separates those two bodies of water, right? As they come in together, there is this wonderful area. Now, it was extremely important um, to the native people. They were, it was an important fishing site. They actually called it their winter camp. Um, It was the upper Spokane's area where they created a settlement. They were fishing and they they dried the, the goods, things like that. But it is where they would go in the wintertime to camp. So it's always been a camping place. Um, this is great. This is Curly Jim, which was uh, he was part of the Spokane tribe. He was one of the people who would be who would be um, an early friend of the settlers. And he said that I was born. Was Curly Jim a native? <clears throat> yes. Oh, okay. Curly Jim. I have a feeling that was his... not his native name. Um, I doubt it. But he was he was born on the west side of the lake, uh, or excuse me, the west side of Laytaw Creek near its mouth. And then he lived there the rest of his life. Like it was, it was <laughs> where he w- would dwell. Um, an archaeological dig, uh, found, and they uh, they found some uh, fireside hearths, bones, and stone tools that they did some carbon dating on, um, and basically said that it was eight thousand years ago that wow. these things were there. And this is great. Wow. B- Buzz Gutierrez, also part of the Spokane tribe, said we knew it was there. Now you know. It. Now you know it was there. In other words, it's not a surprise to us that we our legacy goes that back that far. But now all of the white. Wow. When, do you have? Do you know what time frame uh, this? This was? this would have been more recent. I don't I don't have the date written down, but it's a much more recent um, 
you know, find. Interesting. Like I want to say in the Curly last 50 Jim years. Curly Jim and Buzz who? Gutierrez. That's what I believe. How do you say that name? <laughs> um, so native people continue to gather and fish on the confluence in spite of the discouragement from the white settlers who were building in the city of Spokane around them. Hmm. Um, but in 1911, the Little Falls Dam on the lower Spokane River blocked um, the passage of the salmon and the steelhead up to all the way up to the Spokane Falls. So obviously at that point, things kind of diminished. Sure, um, there was lower motivation to be there if yeah, there's no salmon to exactly, eat. Exactly, exactly. Um, the city actually acquired the land um, in 1913. Again, we won't go into whether they had the right to do that or not. Um, but they did acquire the land in 1913. Uh, we had West Grove Edition in 1910. Um, the Federal Housing uh, for Veterans um, did some stuff there in the 1940s and 1950s. And the Northern Pacific Railroad Bridge are all a part of this park's history. Um, the neighborhood included over 80 houses. Um, yet, honestly, it was still considered part of <coughs> excuse me, River Gorge Park which if you remember way back from our Olmstead brothers, um, they're the ones who envisioned that as being a park in that area. They really loved the area. Hmm. Um, and above it, high above it was High Bridge. Yeah. So, uh, which is obviously no longer really there, right? Yeah, I mean, High Bridge they, they tore was it a bridge. The, pr- right. the bridge was, I mean, we still called it High Bridge, even though right. it was just like, the concrete piles that the right. bridge connected. Right. So sadly, the area became an illegal dumping site for a long time. Like a really long time. It's the people's park. What do you expect? <laughs> but big changes were about to take place because the World's Fair was coming. Oh, man. Yeah, this is... Here this it comes. Is, yeah, here it comes. So... Um, they removed a bunch of the railroad stuff, so they removed. Is that when they, that's probably when they tore High Bridge down. Yes, so I believe that's correct. But they're they're removing all kinds. Of, actually, I think to be precise, I believe it wasn't until 1979 that it was completely removed. Got it. But they're removing a lot of things there um, because they wanted it to be a transient youth camp. Okay, so the city of Spokane wanted a space for young people and families who could not afford hotel fare to be able to come to the expo in 1974. <laughs> so they created it as basically a, a camping site. They installed toilets, showers, and um, had a mobile home police headquarters there. Um, so this is, this is really cool. Ready? The first week, they had uh, 30 to 40 people. The population rose to 400 people. And then at its very peak, there were 5,500 people in August of 1974 that were camping there. So much so that they had to hire a full-time nurse to be brought in to handle, like, you know, the medical issues that might be happening. Wow. Yeah. So, um... (laughs) That's a lot of people for that area. It was. And it was very much an alternate lifestyle village <laughs> see that's the part that i yeah. remember yes yeah, so it was so they had a free kitchen they had drop-in um health clinic they had community gardens they had a marketplace to sell handmade crafts so it, it actually kind of became a part of the whole 1974 expo like almost a an extension of that because they had so many and it was a very much there was actually very little violence there there were art fairs um well it was the 70s it was like the totally peace protest actually for those of you who don't know 1974 is the year i was born and i actually my parents were at the 1974 expo with me in a little 
you know, carrier, whatever they did back then. I don't know. They didn't have any baby Bjorns back then or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was a a really, really happy place. Um, September and October 1974 showed a decline in the visitors, obviously, as the weather gets colder. It actually closed on November 3rd in 1974. It officially closed to campers. But campers did not stay away from the People's Park. Uh, In fact, the park became infamous, and it became a nude beach, uh, nude sunbathing. That's what what I remember. You remember this? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I think everybody was always threatening about, well, we're just going to go out of People's Park. Really? Okay. I I just... See, here's the thing. I find these things fascinating when I especially don't know anything about it. Like, I really did not know... anything about this park i mean i kind of heard about it and i've driven by and seen people's park so it always draws me in when i'm finding out this information um so and i've lived here my whole life pretty much so it was kind of known for i know hippies (laughs) drug users nudists um communal living i love this there's a report um of a man calling in and being horrified because they lived up on that bluff and they could and and (laughs) They lived up on the bluff and the people were, you know, the nudists were down there. What I love is that he was talking to, you know, he called up the authorities because he had seen them through his spyglass. I'm like, wait a second. In order to see them, you've got to use a spyglass? Man, I do not like this at all. Not at all. Wilma, come here and take a look at this. Um, yeah, one, one man reported that he was very upset because there was a man down there wearing nothing but a hat. (laughs) Oh man. So it did see some decline, right? I mean, it had some issues. There were some drug issues. There's, um, uh, problems down there, but the city actually really in, uh, like mid two thousands wanted to improve the place so they put in dog park they put in frisbee golf they did a lot of removing Mm -hmm. of the overgrowth and and cleared off the trails so people could use them um you know and so in the 2000s people were still kind of using it as a nude beach it sounds like but however i believe so however i did talk to my brother we were talking about it in the 90s so it couldn't have been i mean yeah that far yeah it's not that far off so i did talk to my brother who um, does a lot of frisbee golf and i said so did you see anything down there? He's like, no, not at all. I never saw anything. So now it's become a place for families who who are outdoor enthusiasts. Um, it's a wonderful destination. Um, it's got a sandy beach down there. Um, it's close to downtown. It's kind of a hidden gem. It's great for people who are bird watchers. Or you, you, I've seen some pictures of moose down there. So it's a pretty pretty fantastic place. Uh, it and really has declined in the last thirty years. If it's not a nude beach anymore. Matthew J. Side. I mean, what is a city without a nude beach? He is just messing with you, just so you know. <laughs> that is just ridiculous. What I love is that it's still, uh, it sounds like I did, a, I, I saw a little, like a sentence that made me think that they, that the city still has to negotiate with the, the tribe and, you know, they won't allow like pave, paved items and stuff like that. So they really want to keep it as natural and untouched mm-hmm. as possible. Um, so there you go. That's cool. People's, People's Park. Park. Go check it out. More than its infamy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, Matt, I know we are going to delve into some serious stuff some today. Real so I'm glad we got stuff. to like laugh a little bit because we might not be laughing. We not in not, my not, part. Yeah, we might not be. We might be. Okay. Well, we let's talk be. about it yeah. then. Life is life is funny. <laughs> I want to I want to talk about distressed property sales. Mm. Sounds like fun. Ooh, it'll be hilarious. Um, 
so I just I think this was some, this was something a couple weeks ago that we we've, we've mentioned and, and you know the reality is is that distressed property sales happen cyclically throughout history absolutely and, and so yep. I think that it's a timely subject right now to dive into a little bit and I think so at the beginning here I think that it's important that we kind of set a little bit of foundation about like maybe even some definitions so in the early 2000s um, there were lots of short sales and soon followed foreclosures and that was the the great recession mm -hmm. uh, the housing decline of the you know kind of 2007 to 2012 13 kind of in sure. that era there uh, but let's so let's just kind of have a little bit of definition here. So let's first start by defining what a short sale is. Okay. Um, a short sale is selling your home at a price where the net proceeds, so after you pay all your costs of selling, uh, is not enough to pay off what you owe on your home. Yes. It's short. It's sh it was always the joke that it's not short as far as time. It is just short, short as on far what as you owe. owe. So it's a short payoff. On and your it, loan. typically at the time that we were doing a lot of negotiation for short sale, it took a very long time to negotiate that with your bank. So, yeah, I mean, obviously if, if a short sale is happening today, it's going to be a lot more efficient because there's so few of them. Mm -hmm. um, but mm. so that, that was is the issue. Point. The yep. length of time was based sure. on the fact that there was just such. Yeah. Huge you have volume. an asset manager that would say, I have 200 files yeah, no, on my have desk like right 600. now. 600. There you go. 200, 200, 600, whatever. Still a lot. Uh, all right. Dis so distressed homeowners. So technically, there's actually an official phrase, distressed homeowner, mm -hmm. defined by the state of Washington. Right. And it's basically those that are behind or likely to be behind on a mortgage or property tax payment. Okay. So the, interestingly, it doesn't even mean that you're actually a behind right now. But mm -hmm. if you believe that you're going to be behind or the right. likelihood is that you're going to be behind... And you that can would foresee be defined what's, as you're you're a, a distressed homeowner or the person that sure, is. Sure, you can situation. see what's coming down the pipe for your family, and it's gonna, it's distressing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, foreclosure. So foreclosure is a public auction at which your home is sold to the highest bidder, or if there are no bidders, at which it will go back to the bank. So lots of people will say to me, I really want to buy a foreclosure. And that's one of those things where I do have to define, okay, let's... What do you mean by that? What do that? you mean by that? Because a foreclosure actually technically is a moment in time. Yes. I say that is a that is an actual, boop, this is a, a moment where a house gets foreclosed on. And what they usually mean, sometimes they mean they want to buy something before it goes to foreclosure. And sometimes they mean they want to buy something after it goes to foreclosure. And sometimes it means they want to buy it at the foreclosure auction. Right. And so... To say I want to buy a foreclosure is an inaccurate statement. It's no, not. It's not it's specific not, enough. Right. Right. It's an unspecific statement right. rather than inaccurate. Yes. So there's pre-foreclosure, there's foreclosure auction, and then there's bank owned. Right. Those bank, are the three. Yeah. Which has been foreclosed upon. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I think that gives us a little bit of context around distressed property sales, mm -hmm. like what. And will I say this? Short sales are also in the pre-foreclosure. Yeah, so a short sale would be before foreclosure, mm -hmm. and it's important to identify the fact that in a short sale situation, whether you're the buyer or the seller, the bank does not own the house. The bank does not get to order you to do anything. Mm -hmm. The seller, the owner of the home, is the person that owns the home and not the bank, and so they can decide to sell, they can decide to sell at whatever price they want to, and they can decide not to sell. 
The only reason the bank is involved is because they, if they're going to choose to take less than what is owed on their mortgage, they obviously get a say in whether or not they're going to do that and might require some hoops to jump through in order to approve that. So it's a, it can be really confusing because, well, if this person owns the home, then why are we dealing with a lender? Right. And the only reason you're dealing with a lender is because this seller is asking them to take less than what is owed to them mm-hmm. in that for in that sale, <clears throat> that property sale. Right. So the, one of the things I want to talk about, you know, we're gonna I'm gonna go through like kind of a high level um, and a little bit into the weeds on the mm-hmm. foreclosure process, but I also want to talk about equity sales because because you can sell your house mm-hmm. prior to foreclosure. Not as a short sale, right? But still as a distressed homeowner, mm-hmm. and do it, um, and still make even some money on it, and that would be what we could call an equity sale. Okay. And I think my prediction is that with the crazy astronomical appreciation that we've seen in the right. Spokane real estate market and the Coeur d'Alene, Kootenai County, North Idaho real estate market, mm-hmm. is that we're going to see way fewer short sales. Mm-hmm. And probably an influx of equity sales that are driven from a distressed homeowner situation. So that's my new crystal ball. No, that makes sense. And I do remember when that happened around 2005, 2006 as well. Before everything kind of went, it was was shooting up. And so people who were in a distressed situation, they were able to still sell and make a little bit of money. Get out of the situation, basically. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about... Let's talk about foreclosure process All right. first, and then we'll get into a couple other things. This sounds. This sounds. I'm. I'm excited. Let's here's do the, this. Yeah. Here's the reality: is that um, we're not attorneys. We are not attorneys. We are not attorneys. We are not CPAs. I'm not even an attorney on TV anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. All right. So uh, this information on the foreclosure process was. I went to the Northwest Justice Project, a statewide civil legal aid website. Mm -hmm. So you can look that up. We'll put it on our Facebook if you want to get more information on this. So I gathered this from them and had some conversations with my own legal counsel to confirm that I was understanding it basically right. The reality is, is that this, the foreclosure process, if you're in it or you know somebody that's in it is not something to screw around with. And, um, I was going to save this for later, but maybe it's best to just go there now Mm -hmm. is one of the most important pieces that I have advice that I can give somebody that's facing this situation is don't ignore it. Right. Because that only makes it worse. And I do predict that even though there is equity in people's homes, that foreclosure sales will increase Mm -hmm. simply because people put their head in the sand, don't deal with Mm -hmm. the problem. And then the problem becomes unavoidable. Sure. No matter what equity they have, there comes a certain point in this timeline that I'm about to go over with you that there is kind of a point of no return mm-hmm. and, um, or, or it becomes a point of very little return. So, right. um, all right. So let's talk about, well, can I ask a question? Well, absolutely. Okay. Cause we've already it's as much of, your show as here's mine. Here's what I will say. We, we've kind of talked about this already and we've basically determined that this is probably going to be a two part show. So I think going a little bit deeper on some of yeah. these things is important. When you say, don't put your head in the sand, are we going to go into that? Or is that something that, what does that mean? Like, how can I not put my head in the sand if this is a situation that I find myself in? Let's let's talk about that. Let's okay. talk about the process. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about, as we're going through the process, the different points at which 
a person can put their head in the sand. Okay. How's that for a... I think that sounds great. I, I think it, I think there are different junctures here, mm -hmm. and I'm moving my notes around just a little bit because I want to make sure I hit the, some of these high points. Okay. Um, so first of all, as a consumer, there are three notices now, okay. and this has changed. Mm -hmm. So when we first started getting into right. real You're estate... You're actually educating early, me because I used to know this process very, very and well, it's and things similar but different. Okay. So there are now three notices that are required that the servicer of your loan, the company that you make your mortgage payments to, must give you before foreclosure. I'm going to talk about those three, tell you what those three are, and then we're going to talk about the timelines. So the first one is a notice of pre-foreclosure options. Okay. That's the new one. Yeah, I was going to say, that's new. It's new to you. Okay. Uh, number two is your notice of default. Mm -hmm. And then number three is the notice of trustee sale. And I will also, just as a side caveat, Washington State yeah. is one of those fun states where you can foreclose on property in one of two different ways. There is a non-judicial foreclosure, which is what we're talking mm -hmm. about today. Uh, which with a notice of trustee sale. And then there is a judicial foreclosure, which is basically a lawsuit. And mm -hmm. nothing that we talk about today has anything to do with that. It is it is more unusual to have it a is judicial way more foreclosure. Unusual. It so, tends to take more time and cost more money. And banks don't like to spend more money and take more time. That's right. So, so this is going to be, for most people, for most if, they, people. if they find themselves in this situation, this will probably be the process. Yes. Yes. That is a okay. fair statement. Okay. Okay. So step one, the very first thing, somebody misses their payment. Okay. Now, the moment that you miss your payment, you're technically in default. Okay. Now, we all know that people miss their payments because they forgot to pay, the bill didn't get there on time. Mm -hmm. So usually there's the first 30 days. You don't even see, uh, you know, late fees usually happen around 10 or 15 and you're not, it's not reported to your credit bureau until you hit 30. Because once you're, so the credit bureaus have a 30 day late, 60 day late, 90 day late plus. So until you hit 30 days late, the bank's probably not really sweating it much. Now at day 30, you're probably going to start getting phone calls. Mm -hmm. And the, the reality is, is that each lender can follow this rule very closely. Like they can be super aggressive in, a, in the world of defaults and foreclosures, mm -hmm. or they can be a little bit more lax. Mm -hmm. The bigger your bank, probably the more lax they're going to be. Okay. So payment is missed. At some point after you miss your payment, mm -hmm. the notice of pre-foreclosure options uh, will come out. Okay. And they have an acronym for that. NOPFO. <laughs> NOPFO. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not I think actually. we're going too far. N-O-P-F-O. Yeah. And, and um, I think... I think that's new, and I bet that's a consumer protection type of oh, thing. It is, absolutely. And this, a lot of this, these changes came into place in 2007, 2008, mm -hmm. 2009, when there was a lot of predatory investing going on and mm -hmm. people that were in foreclosure. There was a lot of, I mean, they were trying to give people options to avoid foreclosure. Right. So the legislature put a lot of this in Because it's no place. good for the banks either. The banks don't actually want to take your house back in a foreclosure. And they lose money in a foreclosure most of the time. Yeah. Unless they have an incredible equity spread, which usually they do not. So, so, well, and, and even if, yes, and, and these days they probably do have a pretty incredible equity spread. Mm -hmm. And so the reality is, is the bank, if there is a huge equity spread, the bank's not going to make any money because it's going to sell at foreclosure auction. It's not going back to the bank. So, right. so there's, there is little motivation for the bank itself to 
push a foreclosure through unnecessarily because right. it's bad for them on a regulatory standpoint. Mm-hmm. They're not making any money on it really. Mm-hmm. And so um, at, at the end of the day, they just want to get paid. Yeah. So this helps them and it helps the consumers. This notice of pre-foreclosure options. Yeah, notice of pre-foreclosure options. Now here's the thing. That notice of pre-foreclosure options comes out to you and the bank can just do nothing after that point for as long as they want. Sure. So in talking with one of my attorney friends, she said some banks will send notice of pre-foreclosure options over and over again for like a year. Oh, geez. Or two years. Wow. And it's just, so it it just depends on what, how aggressive they want to be. Mm-hmm. So if you, so the bank cannot, like if you do nothing, mm-hmm. the bank cannot issue the next notice, which is the notice of default for 30 days. So they have to send you the notice okay. of pre-foreclosure options. So we don't know exactly when they would we, they would send the notice of pre-foreclosure options. So that could be a long time. It could be after your several months. More than likely, the bank will have a trigger point sure. pretty early on. Maybe 30 days? I would say maybe 30 days, maybe 60 days. Late, when you're late. Yep. Okay. You're going to get the notice of pre-foreclosure options. They don't want to, more than likely, you're not going to get it at a 30-day because they're not trying to alarm you unnecessarily. Sure. I mean, from a customer service standpoint, if somebody forgot to pay their bill because it was, you know, fell off their nightstand or something like that, right. they don't want to have... I mean, that's going to freak people out right. because it's like, here are all your options to avoid foreclosure. This mm-hmm. is a collection or a, a letter from a debt collector and blah, blah, blah. All those right. legal items that they have to have in that document are mm-hmm. very much put you on notice. Right. So my guess is you're not going to see that until you're 60 or 90 days late is what my guess is. Okay. But each lender is too unto themselves how they're going to do that. Makes sense. So they can, they, you know, they're going to send it out to you at some point after you're behind in payments. They can send it out to you multiple times. Uh, Once you get that notice of pre-foreclosure option, you, as the consumer, may request a meet and confer. It's just like an official meeting. And and I'm not here to tell you how to do that. Like, that's going to be in the instructions. If you're in this situation, I highly recommend you reach out to a certified housing counselor or an attorney. And we have several recommendations that we can make on those type of things. But um, if you do the meet and confer request... The notice of default cannot come out for 60 days, so it extends the oh. notice of default out. So this would be one of the places where you could put your head in the sand. Head in the sand if you don't do anything. Gotcha. Once the, they they will they can issue a notice of default as soon as 30 days after the notice of pre foreclosure options has been okay. sent, if you do not respond. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some short the shortest timelines, and okay. we'll talk about kind of the nuanced natures of some of the other things. The notice of default is the first kind of real and important notice that goes out. Right. It is not publicly recorded, but it is a legal notice that you are now notice of default. And this is the beginning of the foreclosure process. Mm-hmm. Notice of default, uh, no sooner than 30 days after notice of default mm-hmm. can the notice of trustee sale happen. Okay. The notice of trustee sale is the third and final notice. Mm-hmm. Um, that you will receive in this distressed situation and it is actually telling you all of the funds that are owed. It is setting the foreclosure date. It is like public record. Everybody knows about it. The foreclosure date is set. All of those kind of things. In between the notice of default and the notice of trustee sale, you can request a mediation. Okay. You can't actually. A housing counselor or an attorney can request that. Okay. You can't do it as as an individual. That's according to what I'm reading here. You can't. 
Now okay. you can do the meet and confer before it knows the default, but here's mm-hmm. what's happening. Mm-hmm. The bank doesn't want to talk to you without attorneys involved because now it's a legal proceeding. Oh, interesting. Right? Okay. Like there's legal stuff going on. Just a reminder, again, we're not attorneys, so definitely check out and, this But I do <laughs> know attorneys that this is the wheelhouse they work in. Right. So if you're hearing my voice or watching me on YouTube and you're saying, I'm somewhere in this process, Yes. you need to call us at 509-62-HOUSE or reach out to us on one of our social media accounts or by email, and we will connect you with the people that can help you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Notice of trustee sale, major moment in time. Mm -hmm. Uh, From that point, the foreclosure auction is set, Mm -hmm. and it cannot be any sooner than 120 days from the notice of trustee sale. Didn't it used to be 90 days? Uh, No, I think it's always been 120. Oh, okay, okay. Here's, it might have been 90, I don't remember, it was like a lifetime ago. Here's the reality. The fastest that the bank can move from Mm -hmm. the notice of default to foreclosure auction is five months. If they're like ramming this through because they need to get this house back or get their money, the fastest that can be is five months. From the date the notice of trustee sale is filed, you still have 20 days to request mediation through your housing counselor or your attorney. After that 20 days... From filing, not from when you get the letter, Okay. Uh, you no longer can request mediation. It's like a point of no return. Oh. So as we're wrapping up, so we told you this was going to be a part one and a part two. At so least. part one. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a part three. <laughs> part one is the process of foreclosure. Each of these notice points is a place that you could be putting your head in the sand and making it more difficult for you to sell your home. So next week, we'll revisit this to make sure we're all on the same page again. We'll talk about equity sales and we'll talk about some of the options that you have at any point in this distress process um, so that you are able to get out of a situation that is not a good one. Okay. Well, that's us signing off. Uh, Don't forget to reach out to us if you have any questions. 509-62-HOUSE and we'll see you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.